You just moved into a new house, or maybe it's the same house you live in now. The point is that weird things are happening. Car keys disappear, reappear somewhere else across the house. You know you didn't put them there, but there they are a day later. Dishes fall off the counter. That crucifix on your wall falls or worse, flies across the room. Dishes fly out of the cabinets. The smell of sulfur permeates the house and it's not just from the bathroom. Guess what, buddy? You got a poltergeist. What are you gonna do now? Welcome to Fangs and Folklore. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things horror, paranormal, and just plain old spooky. I'm from the haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I'm a horror writer. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's uh, volume one of the Gravedigger series, which is a six-part series about a failing punk rock band who keep running, uh, crossing paths with monsters, vampires, werewolves, zombies, all sorts of things like that. It's super entertaining. It's horror comedy, and uh, go check it out. They're all available on... Uh, Kindle in, in paperback and an audiobook. Okay, as is our uh, our custom here on Fangs and Folklore, we're doing a wine review because wine is related to horror. No, because I just happen to like wine. So uh, tonight's uh, wine is a Chateau Tour Monde Bordeaux Supérieur, 2019. It should cost about twelve to thirteen dollars a bottle. It's Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and Merlot. I don't have the percentages, but Merlot is definitely the majority. Uh, so here we go. Let's take a sniff in the, in the uh, skull goblet that I found up here in the uh, castle. So the studios here, the basement of the uh, abandoned castle in the middle of the haunted forest. Okay, on the nose, I'm detecting black cherry, a little, a little smoke. It's interesting. All right, it's nice and dry. I love that. It's uh, wow. It's a good blend of fruit and kind of earthy flavors. Uh, black cherry. Blackberry, maybe a little plum. Then it also has, like I said, a little smoke, pepper, earth. A little earth. I love an earthy wine. And it's really good. Um, it's a 2019. I would let it age quite a bit more, but it's still drinkable now. All right. So you've got a poltergeist. Not the best of luck, my friend. Your life's going to be hell on earth for a while, and uh, might as well just settle in and take it, right? No. Hell no. You see... All of the poltergeist cases throughout history have taught us that there actually are a few things you can do to either, uh, you know, the grasp the bull by the horns, to either lessen the length or the uh, intensity of the haunting, or drive the thing out even, or just to kind of mitigate it. So first, what the hell is a poltergeist? It's a German word, der poltergeist. And um, the name is German for like a noisy ghost or rambunctious ghost or something like that. It's a haunting. Uh, where the entity moves things, moves objects, makes sounds, often appears as an apparition, claims or possesses knowledge that imply omniscience, apports objects from other places, generally terrorizes the family involved in the haunting. It often occurs in households with adolescent girls. Not always the case, though, and there's a theory about that, but we dealt with that in a former Fangs and Folklore. You can go look that up. Uh, we talked about that a bit. We delved deeply into poltergeists and the different cases, so... We're not going to uh, focus on that tonight. Tonight's a survival guide. You have a poltergeist. You don't care what the research says. You care about what to do. Because contrary to popular belief, poltergeists are survivable and they are finite. So how do you know you have a poltergeist? First of all, the first sign in, in just about every case is scratching in the walls. It's going to sound like mice or squirrels or something like that, often mistaken for insects, I mean not insects, <laughs> mice in the walls. And it often is at night when you're trying to sleep, just a little scratching in the walls. 
And that's going to progress to knocking in the walls, strange knocking, like from inside the walls. That'll eventually turn into banging, loud banging, sometimes so loud and violent it shakes the house. What the thing is trying to do is to get your attention and to scare you. Keep that in mind. It wants to get your attention and wants to scare you. Now, you'll probably find a puddle of clear liquid somewhere in the house, maybe even more than one. Sometimes it'll smell a little bit like urine, but when analyzed, it's not urine. It will be partially biological. It will have some, uh, a small bit of urine and some biological matter, actually, but partly water and partly unidentifiable. And it'll be more viscous than plain water, thicker than plain water. Uh, you might have more than one of those, but that's very common in uh, poltergeist cases for some weird reason. Objects will start moving of their own volition. Paintings might fall off the walls or even fly off the walls. So will crucifixes if you have those. And if you have crucifixes on your walls, if you're religious in that way, they might also be turned upside down on the wall, which is very creepy. <laughs> Again, this is all to get your attention. That's what they're doing. At night, your sheets and blankets might be pulled off you while you're sleeping, either slowly or quickly, while you lie in bed. This surely is one of the most frightening aspects of poltergeist haunting. In severe cases, while you're in bed, you might feel unseen hands poking you, even pinching you. In the most extreme cases, people have been slapped on the face by unseen hands. There may be apparitions, meaning that, you know, the appearing of the entity. With poltergeists, they are inevitably black, cloudy forms, they kind of in the shape of a human, sometimes larger, sometimes even have like horns and things like this, but they're going to be black. They'll sometimes pass through walls. They might lunge at you, fly at you, but they're not going to actually physically hit you. They'll just go through you. They might hover. They might float around. And once the poltergeist appears like this as a black, full black entity, you can be sure that you are in the midst of the most extreme sort of poltergeist haunting. Right now, the good thing is that there's only one known case of a poltergeist killing someone. You might say, a good thing? What the hell's the bad thing? Well, <clears throat> the point is that in the vast majority of all cases, poltergeists do not physically harm their victims. Um, I said sometimes in bad cases they might pinch and slap and poke. That's, that's severe cases. There's one case, the Bell Witch Haunting, um, and uh, in the Bell Witch case, the poltergeist claimed to have poisoned John Bell, uh, the victim, who indeed did die of poisoning, and his medicine bottle was swapped out with a bottle of poison. The poltergeist claimed in an audible voice to have done that. Uh, so that's only happened once, and the poltergeist actually, it swapped out medicine. It didn't physically directly kill a person. So there's no actual evidence ever of a poltergeist directly like strangling someone or something like that. You might get a few pokes and pinches, all right? You might have a fire break out somewhere in the house, and uh, something, you know, um, a kitchen fire or something that's unexpected. Almost always, in fact, always, there's never a case where it's burned the house down. Uh, it's always caught and dealt with for some, uh, it it's works out that way. Uh, so uh, the poltergeist will almost certainly not kill you. In the very worst of cases, I mean the worst of the worst, you're going to hear snorting and squealing of pigs, even though there are no pigs there. Um, if you get to this point, well, it's, uh, it's a very bad sign, okay? You have the worst. And this may be accompanied by the smell of sulfur, meaning rotting eggs or rotting meat, like rotting flesh, rotting meat. Uh, if you get to that point, oh, buddy, you are, you are at the worst of the worst. You and your family will begin to have feelings of depression, anger, even despair. This is normal. This is the poltergeist way of, of, of getting to you and trying to wear you down, you see. If the poltergeist communicates to you in an audible voice, it will likely claim to be a combination of different kinds of things. 
It's going to claim to be a ghost. In other words, the, the spirit of a dead human. It will give some backstories, sometimes contradictory ones. It might change its story more than once. It's going to give you fanciful tales of their former life, uh, sometimes fascinating tales, actually. Um, it's going to uh, it's going to know things, right? If it talks, it's going to know things about you that no one could know. It will likely have a member of the family who's its main target, one person. It'll have other victims too, but one person it's really going to go after. And we don't know why it chooses that person. There seems to be no rhyme or reason. In fact, there may be another member of the family whom it leaves alone or even favors, like in the Bell Witch case. As I mentioned before, it may uh, apport objects from outside the house, even from far away places. They'll appear in your house. Some might appear threatening. Some might appear whimsical. Uh, your own objects, like I said, car keys will be moved around, disappear, reappear later. As the symptoms increase, you may see things that seem to defy the laws of physics, things that victims have seen in known cases would be carpet or the floor breathing, like rising up and down like it's breathing, chairs being stacked on tables in the mere split second that you turn around. If you've seen the original film Poltergeist, uh, great horror movie, by the way, the scene where she turns around and goes back and the stairs are stacked on the table, it's so shocking. That has actually happened in some cases. You might have the house pounded and shaken so hard that you hear things being destroyed, like furniture cracking and falling apart. When you go to look, there's no damage. Uh, people levitating even has, has been, uh, uh, reported even hovering through windows and through walls, people and other such reality defying acts. This tells us that the poltergeist is a powerful spirit that can deceive our senses. We don't know if it's actually defying physics or just making us think we see it like hallucinating. You may notice that the poltergeist sounds like a combination of an evil spirit and a spoiled childish prankster because that's exactly what it is. Um, we'll talk in just a moment about how to survive, but real quickly, what the hell is a poltergeist? I'm going to, I base my answer on my really decades of research, exhaustive research into the literature, into the cases, every known poltergeist case. My belief is that poltergeists are not ghosts. They are not the disembodied spirits of dead humans. I believe they are non-human evil spirits. And if you're, if you want to call them demons in your religious tradition, then that is what they are. If you believe in jinn, that's what they are. In other words, they are, they've never been human. They're evil spirits from whatever realm the spirits come from. They are essentially demons, pretending to be human ghosts. I believe this because they give all the signs of being evil spirits. Black, cloudy appearance, squealing of pigs, the smell of sulfur. These are all classic references to hell and to uh, evil and to demons. Uh, if you're not religious, just think about it this way. Whatever, wherever evil spirits may come from, that's where these these guys are from so what do they want from you the best i know to understand and explain is that they want to terrorize you to torment you to cause chaos so they take pleasure in your confusion and destruction they want to break you as a person they want to break you down as a human make no mistake about it they have evil intent okay they want to hurt you and destroy your life um they're limited in what they can do by uh a force. Some people call it God. Some people call it good. But there does seem to be a limit to what they're allowed to do by some intelligence. All right. What do you do if you have one? First, the good news is that the majority of all poltergeist cases last two to three months. That's it. All right. Two to three months is a long time when you're going through hell every day. But that's the average length. I cannot explain why. Do they just get bored? Do they have other work to do somewhere else on earth? For whatever reason, these infestations are not permanent. 
they, uh, they're, they're temporary, but lots of damage can take place in that time period. Families can be torn apart, right? People can be terrorized. There are some cases lasting longer. Some have lasted years, but those are rare. So first thing you want to do, it sounds weird, but you want to stay physically clean. Bathe, shower every day, sometimes more than once a day. This may seem odd, but from the most ancient of times and the most ancient magical texts that we have and ancient cultures, physical cleanliness has been seen as the first line of defense, of protection against black magic, evil spirits, and black witchcraft. Think about it. These spirits are, are filthy in their own selves. They're defiled, evil things. And you being physically clean and purified acts like a kind of shield against them. That's not necessarily going to stop it, but it's going to give you some protection. Next, if at all possible, ignore it. You might say, what? How the hell do I ignore a poltergeist? Well, I'm serious. They want attention. That's very, clear, very, very clear. That's why they escalate their hauntings from scratchings to knockings to poundings. They want attention. They feed off your anger and fear. The more scared and angry you get, the more the symptoms of the attack increase. If you can force yourself to ignore it, then it probably won't get worse and worse. In fact, it might just go away to bother someone else. Why don't more people do this? Because have you ever tried to ignore something supernatural? It's not easy. I have, myself, I've had a couple of weird situations. I'm not saying they're poltergeists, but I might have heard something or seen something that may have been the f indication of a, the first stage of a poltergeist haunting. I basically ignored it, treated it like it's just natural phenomena and nothing ever came of it. I'm not saying 100% it was a poltergeist, but it may have been. But if you're in this case, try your best to ignore it. Just ignore it. Think about it like a, a screaming toddler throwing a tantrum, you know? The more upset you get, the more upset they get, and they like it. That's what they want. They want attention. If you ignore it, they're going to wear themselves out. The vast majority of people can't ignore it and don't, but if you can, it's a very strong line of defense. If it progresses, at the very least, try not to engage it in any way. Even if you can't ignore it, don't engage it. Don't talk to it. Don't ask it questions. Don't do the... Uh, you know, one knock for no, two knocks for yes, or whatever. Just don't engage it whatsoever. Do not hold a seance. Do not use the Ouija board. You're asking for trouble. You're opening up a portal there. Just ignore it like you would a toddler throwing a tantrum. Don't engage it in any way. It's the same reason why priests and religious figures and exorcisms, when people are possessed, poltergeist is like possession of a house, when people are possessed, the priest will say, do not talk to the demon. Do not engage it. It's going to try to distract you. Demons, uh, evil spirits, they're all liars. And the more you engage, the more excited they become and the worse they become. Don't engage it, okay? At the same time, if you are indeed religious, whatever your faith may be, practice that faith as much and as sincerely as you can. Uh, it, you know, pray uh, however you treat religious objects, have those around your house. If it knocks your religious items off the wall, calmly put them back up. Don't get upset, don't scream, don't get scared, and just calmly put it right back. If it knocks it off again, calmly put it right back up. Be calm the best you can, don't engage with it. This will go a long way toward dealing with it. Remain calm and deliberate. Fill your house as much as possible with love, joy, especially laughter. Evil spirits do not and cannot understand laughter. Laughter, what is laughter? It's pure joy, it's pure spontaneous joy and happiness. And nothing in their realm, in their world, is joyful or, or happy or, or thing like that. They resent this, and they don't understand laughter. If you can fill your house with laughter and joy and love, it goes a long way to driving them, uh, driving them out. 
If this doesn't work, the symptoms have increased. The next step is to have an authority figure of your religion come and bless the house. Not a full exorcism, but a blessing. If you're a Catholic, get a priest. If you're Protestant, get your pre preacher, pastor. You know, if you're uh, Muslim, get an imam. If you're Jewish, get a rabbi. Whatever your faith may be. Even if you're not religious, it, it, you might want to try to find one to come. Um, they're going to bless your house. They're going to have a ceremony, whatever that may be. The important part is that he or she be an official representation of, the, of that religion. It's not an exorcism, but it's a signal to the entity, to the poltergeist, that you're not going to give in. Uh, in the Western world, it's traditional to get a priest. You know, of course, they'll sprinkle holy water around the house, say a prayer. But it's a sign to the poltergeist that you're not going to take it. Now, what's going to happen once you bless the house is you're going to have peace for a couple of days. It's going to seem like, oh, it worked, it went away. Usually, that's not the case. It, it does seem to drive it back for a little while, but it comes back angrier, okay? It's going it's to, the, the activity is going to come back after a few days. It's like the calm before the storm. You've officially pissed off the poltergeist. <laughs> It's going to come back. The symptoms will get worse. It'll mess with you more. What you need to do is the same thing as before. Act rationally. Don't engage with it. Ignore it if you can. After a few more days, have the religious figure come again and bless the house. Same thing. It'll repeat the cycle of peace for a while. Renewed the anger by the, you know, the spirit will be renewed in his anger again and again. Your point, uh, your goal at this point is just to wear it down. It wants to have fun with you, to provoke you, to anger you, to make, your miser to make you miserable like a spoiled child but remain calm and fight back, and you're going to wear it down. Um, during this process, the blessings of the house, several times a day, say something aloud like this. Just an example. This is my house. My family and I belong here. No other spirits belong here. They're not welcome, and they must leave. Don't address it directly. Don't talk to it, but say something like that. State it over and over and over. It's your house. You have a right to be there. It does not. If, uh, let's say you have anywhere from three to five rounds of blessing of the house and the poltergeist still doesn't go, then it's time to do a full-on exorcism of the house. This is going to be the big showdown, all right? You need to find an authority figure in your religion who will agree to do the rite of exorcism in that religion in your house. I mean, a full-on ceremonial exorcism, whatever that may mean to you, uh, to that religion. This will likely involve the presence of the entire family, maybe even some friends or extended family. The more people there who love one another and who are against the evil spirit, the more success you're going to have in that exorcism. This is where most poltergeists leave. Okay? Uh, it's going to fight back strongly during that exorcism. It's going to throw all it has at you. Be prepared to see terrifying things like demonic figures appearing, physics-defying actions, physical assaults, uh, speaking out your worst and most terrible secrets for everyone to hear, blaspheming your God and such. But carry out the exorcism. It's a final showdown. The exorcism will probably work. Entity will probably depart. Sometimes, though, it's not enough. You have to repeat the exorcism. Sometimes more than once. Eventually, it will work. Like the badly behaved toddler, the, uh, the poltergeist will eventually get tired of fighting back. You've worn it down. It's going to flee. And if it's any comfort, while the longest poltergeist cases I said have lasted several years, there's I think maybe three like that, even those eventually ceased. There's no known case of a poltergeist literally afflicting someone for the rest of their natural lives, unless, you know, they die unnaturally young or something. Yeah, but, you know, like decades until they're 100. There's no such case. They do eventually leave. And like I said, the average stay is two to three months. Well, what if, you may ask, what if I'm the unlucky one and the, and the poltergeist just won't leave? What if it's a... 
months? What if it's half a year? What if it's a year? What if it's many years? My study of the cases indicate that the only real uh, option here is repeated exorcisms of the house. They might, you might have to do them over a long period of time, but eventually they do work. No poltergeist haunting is literally unending and permanent. Um, so, uh, another weird thing, a lot of, sometimes, in well, a lot of cases actually, people who have ignored the poltergeist or tried their best to do it and not engaged it, it seems to just get tired after a while and go away. I don't know why. I cannot explain that. It's really weird. But uh, what I'm giving you are the steps for the severe cases where it just won't go away. Yeah, so that's how you survive a poltergeist attack. Are you actually going through one, a poltergeist haunting infestation right now? Or have you gone through one? I want to hear your story. And in fact, I want you to consider maybe being interviewed on the show on Fangs and Folklore. This stuff fascinates me. And I collect, uh, you know, poltergeist accounts. And I'd love to hear from you. If you want to comment below on YouTube, that'd be great. Or if you're listening on Podbean or any other fod, uh, fine podcasting site, you can email me. My email is Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, dot Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, dot writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, at gmail.com. That's Matthew, dot Miller, dot writer, at gmail.com. Matthew, dot Miller, dot writer, at gmail.com. Uh, if you if you are going through one of these infestations, or if you have gone through one of these infestations. All right, so as we wind down the show for the night, remember that the first... Si uh, do, you, do you hear that scratching? The hell? Oh my god. Is that knocking? Uh, I don't like that. Uh, uh, my candles. Uh, okay, um, I'm going to let you go now. I think we may have a poltergeist... In the castle, uh, thanks for watching, and as always, sleep well if you can.